Hello and welcome to Play to Find Out, the Dungeon World podcast from the Dungeon World Discord. We're thrilled to be coming at you live from my place in Massachusetts. And for the first time ever, we've got Voidlight coming from St. Louis. Yeah, I'm Saint... in my new apartment. I'm, uh, it, it, it's not a fancy setup by any means. Um, fictionally, in my, in my mind palace, I'm, I'm on a throne of, of skulls. Um, surrounded by a, a living miniature replica of the, the dungeon that uh, Willem Wellmet is in currently. But in reality, I'm lying on a sleeping bag on a rough carpet um, in my house with no furniture next to a modem and a microphone and a computer. So Your life sounds cool, Eamon. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a pretty fun show for you tonight. We are going to be taking callers. We are going to be announcing the winners of our Play to Find Out spell contest. Oh, and perhaps yeah. most importantly of all, we're going to be announcing our next contest live on the air tonight at the conclusion of the stream. So stick around. We've got a packed show for you and we're really excited to have you on. Oh, yeah. How have you been? How have you been recently out there? I've been doing okay. How about you? Pretty good. Um, in terms of gaming, um, I've actually gotten to sink my teeth into invisible sun in some meaningful ways i had a, a character creation session um with two folks that i met online I, I met up with them in the real they were awesome their house was like Candyland. it just had tons of um game figures everywhere in all these games and it, it was a far cry from my unadorned apartment and i was really jealous but mm. i had the black cube which they did not and so i was able to uh, show them the game and, and walk them through character creation I, I was see. just struck um by how much I love starting campaigns and uh, how much I love in-person role-playing. So I'm excited to be back in the GM's chair for the first time in a long time. Uh, tonight, I don't know if I've actually done any GMing since our last uh, call-in episode. You uh, haven't done any GMing at all since then. That is a hefty... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hefty Just chunk of time. A lot of, there's been a lot of real-life work and stuff. So That's for sure. Well, you want to hear something cool, though? Constantly. Um, I... I was making um, character concepts for what I wanted to play for uh, the, the Invisible Sun narrative that I'll be in. And I was being inspired by the, the cool ideas that the players were coming up with who were going to play in my campaign. And um, I, I made five different characters and was like, which concept do you guys like best? I made just elevator pitches. And there were two that they were like, oh, either one of these is really cool. One was a like, college professor who gave classes on like time travel. Um, uh, in like a wizarding college, and the other was the basically Clavager, right? That like we had um, featured in a, on a uh, picture. Of this in one of the one of our uh, previous episodes. Who Very was the, cool. The, the person with keys all over him was a keyhole on his chest. And then I decided, what if Clavager is the son of this professor, Audovan, and I played both characters, and it's because their timelines keep getting mixed up. So whenever I'm playing Audovan, he's young and he's just starting out as a wizard and uh, Clavager isn't even born yet or, or, uh, or maybe and his, and his character arc is to like have him. And when the timeline switches, I'll be playing Clavager where Audovan is old and retired and Clavager is an adult. And Ooh. that's the type of thing that you can do in Invisible Sun and it kind of works. <laughs> Because nice. like, which character I would be is arbitrated by like these drawing of cards that occasionally come up. So anyway, it was very, very exciting. And like, it was cool to like pose something like that to a GM and then just be like, yes, that's, let's do that. 
Cool. Well, that that sounds really cool. I'm very bad at doing time travel in my games. I to the point where I've I've quit a session out of rage at my own time travel mistakes. Oh man! Um, before not my proudest moment by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, you gotta live and learn. Exactly. And and so now I, I approach time travel now in moderation. Um, so speaking of moderation, I'm curious out there in the Twitch uh, Twitch audience and on the Discord as well. How do we sound? How do we look? Is the stream working correctly? Just want to check in on that before we get too deep into this. So if you are in the chat, send a message, say hi, and say also whether or not what we're doing is working or if there's something going horribly wrong. If we don't hear from you, we'll assume that there's something going horribly wrong and uh, adjust accordingly. And for all our time-traveling listeners out there listening from the future, what's up? Thanks for listening to the uh, audio dump. Yeah, the audio dump indeed. It's going to be a fun one. Um, and it's going to be fun, Eamon, because tonight we're going to be resuming our call-in show campaign, which we only get to play every 10 episodes of Play to Find Out. On every, uh, every time we go up in the tens place, I think, and this is the pattern we've been following so far, so hopefully we'll keep doing this. We've got a fun call-in show for uh, all of our listeners, which is also a chance for us to showcase sort of what we've learned by doing the show together. So... I'm excited to get back into it because I've been thinking a lot about this campaign uh, since we last signed off. Now, Eamon, are you there? I'm still here. Do Wonderful. you want to um, do you want to give a a summary? I, I we as we talked about on the show, we prefer the players to do the summaries of what has happened since we last saw Will Moment for those who either uh, haven't seen the uh, or haven't heard the original uh, episode or just uh, are forgetting since it's been a while. Great idea. Let's talk a little bit about what happened last time. So I am playing Willem Wellmet. I'm a bard, and I have in my possession a sword embedded in my arm as a tattoo, my legacy weapon, because we're playing Dungeon World slash Legacy Weapon tonight. In the last adventure, or in, as, in the start to our adventure, uh, I, as Willem, began my descent into hell in my attempts to find and hopefully return to the realm of the living, uh, the paladin Tar Seminus. Tar Seminus, the paladin who went missing, and I know from, if I recall correctly, folklore and song, uh, that he has gone missing in the bowels of hell itself. Does that sound more or less correct so far? Oh, that's absolutely correct. Um, Wonderful. You had had come across the legacy weapon... um, uh, from the, it was willed to you. It was willed to you by a deceased wizard named Triskadeka, and yes. uh, she was the last of the three bear, previous bearers of the weapon, um, which we haven't uh, seen. We created the weapon um, last uh, last episode, but we haven't seen um, its effects in use quite yet. So we're anticipating that tonight at some point, actually. Yes. Um, and this is a shout out to people that have played in my games. I used your character names, uh, some of the character names that I've loved from games that I've run, uh, t- as the previous holders of the legacy weapons. So Jan and Triskadeka, keep an ear out if you're tuned in and listening. I know one of you might be. And hopefully you'll get a chance to, to check in with a character or at least a, an homage to your character. So anyway, following uh, the beginning of the descent, I, as Willem, met a knight of hell. I don't remember exactly what the knight's title or name was, though. Um, would you mind filling in that blank for me? Amen. Malgor. 
Malgor. The Hell Knight. Malgor the Hell Knight was not guarding exactly, but was was standing on the staircase as I descended. And in the encounter, I was able to soothe Malgor with my magical music and give him a a reprieve, I guess, almost, from the duties of his of his order. And I was able to convince him to abandon his post and begin the long trek up the stairs and out of and back into the real world. I uh, I furnished him with food and I inspired him to rash action and got my XP for that. Um, so it felt pretty cool. Um, and that, but not and in the process, I did take a mild mark from the sword, um, which I did leave behind. And then I finally came to uh, a palace at the bottom of the stairs and looked out across the domain of hell to see far in the distance a pit, and in that pit, a city. Does that cover it? Yes. In that pit, um, in that pit there is a, uh, a city, and you can see beyond the city a glow coming from deeper. All right. So my presumption is that if I go to that city, that's where I'll find Tarsemenus. I've been given no reason not to suspect that. And it, I think that my immediate undertaking will be uh, leave the palace, head straight there, complete beeline. Um, and because we're now getting into the play, it's time for me to reveal an exciting new upgrade to the play to find out streaming experience. Check this out, those of you ch- keeping an eye on us in the chat. We've got character sheets live on the air, updated in front of your very eyes. We've got Willem Wellmet's character sheet, complete with my terrible handwriting. Well, are you drawing with a mouse? Uh, no, I'm drawing with a with a stylus. <laughs> okay, no excuses then. <laughs> no excuses, except that my handwriting is bad. <laughs> and I don't... You know what? I stand by it. That's okay. And not to great. find out if your handwriting is good. It is not. It is, it is mediocre at best. But that's not important. What is important is uh, this quest. So I am, I am leaving this palace. Uh, I'm presuming that in doing so, I'm not experiencing, encountering any resistance, right? Is there anything in the way? Let's see. So as we left off, you stood on a balcony, almost St. Peter's-esque, uh, from our perception here in the real world. And as you stare out before you to remind listeners, uh, what this hellish vista before you had, um, Far ahead, as you said, there's the great city of Pandemonium. Um, off to the north, there are the blistered lands and a castle that you can see far around this great wheel that you find yourself on the rim of. To the south, there are the pillars of iron and the southern castle. And far beyond you, across the sulfurous clouds, there is the frozen heights of Hell's East and the eastern castle, and the rivers of molten salt that flow down from the rim between the southeast towards Pandemonium. The castle before you is a small keep, not uh, exceptionally large by top world standards, and you can see shambling skeletons, um, and uh, constructs, in essence, uh, that have been enchanted to guard this place, just sort of lazily patrolling the walls and whatnot. There's only a handful of them um, and a far cry from 
the resistance that you would expect to find if you had gone to one of the other castles, which based on your bardic knowledge, you did not. Um, as you breathe in, though, what strikes you is the oppressive heat. Um, you stand between the pillars of iron and blistered lands on this westernmost point, and the heat is potentially as bad as it gets anywhere in this place, at least outside of the core. Um, tell me, what is something that you're experiencing that drives home the oppressive heat? Um, I think that when I breathe, I can feel... It, it's like breathing in jalapeno or habanero, somewhere in that range, really, the habanero range. It's like the air is spicy almost. And with that really nasty, bitter spice that hits you in the lips and the back of the tongue, that fits of a coughing are are tickling your throat, I imagine. Is there anything you do to try to mitigate that? Do you have like a scarf or something or I think I do. I, I think I pull um I I suspect actually that in my pack I have a finely knit cloth that will keep the worst of the heat and the worst of the of the smoke and sulfur away from my lungs if I wrap it around my face correctly. Um to me, this would be an expenditure of adventuring gear that I've correctly prepared with. Nice. I think I was about to ask, so that works yeah. for me. All right. Let me mark that. One adventuring gear used. I think as well, um, as you step outside of the staircase, which uh, this is an upwards rising tube through the ceiling of this place and still contains air mingling with the top world, you've now sort of exited the, the, uh, the theater stream and uh, exited the tributary and are now in the sea, in, in, in essence. And so there's not fresh water missing, mis mixing with the salt water anymore. The air that you're breathing is purely hellish air, um, which triggers a custom move that I have uh, prepared, which I'll post in the uh, Discord channel. A custom move? Why, we just talked about custom moves on a recent episode of Play to Find Out. <laughs> uh, let me read this. When you exhale your living breath into the fetid air of hell, the shades of those you once knew may catch a whiff of it. Roll plus charisma. On a hit, the shade of a deceased lover, associate, ally, or master appears and offers dire warnings. Who are they? On a 10 plus, they have vital intelligence as well. All right, first roll of the day. Hoping not to get that XP. Let's see how this goes. And it is a six plus two is eight. Whew, close one. Um, all right. Who are they? So indeed. And I, I, you would tell me who they are, and I will tell you how they've been altered by this place. Okay. Um, when I was getting started as a bard playing the songs of heroes, I heard a fellow performer play a song about... Uh, Jiamen the Troll Slayer. And Jiamen, the song of Jiamen was, I thought, a catchy enough tune, but the lyrics were just trash. So I improved the song of Jiamen. And the, the other performer, um, who I think was named Tursus Terran, uh, Tursus did not take kindly to the fact that I effectively plagiarized his big hit song and improved it and released a cover version of it uh, that just was frankly better. So we had sort of a long-standing, uh, a long-standing rivalry, the, the, the two of us, uh, where we would play 
I think I think that it made our music better overall, and ultimately he owes me for that. But he might not see it the same way. Might not have seen it the same way. Um, he died tragically when uh, when Callsville was just obliterated in a uh, dragon raid. So something that the priests of Saramet impressed on you before you came down here is that um, hell moves about uh it collects souls from city to city as uh, it, it makes its nest under one city after another and so it was um it is quite possible that it has previously been under Callsville and collected many of those who perished during that dragon raid um and so now as your your own breath issues from your lips and sort of begins to materialize before you to your alarm, I imagine you recognize uh, the face of Jamin. You said, uh, "Jamin" was the name of the song. Uh, Tarsus is the is the guy's Tarsus. name. I'll, I will uh, write that in a private message to you as well. Okay, Tarsus. Um, Torrance. Tarsus Torrance. Yes. Tarsus, or his visage at least, um, looks at you, and the eyes are just voids that you can see through, and and they are lit. Uh, they allow through his semi-translucent form the light of the hate star beyond um, more than the rest of him to make the eyes seem almost as if they glow. And his body is very slowly uh, forming um, the shade of his body is at least from the head down. And he begins speaking uh, as the lips form even before the rest of him does. And he looks as he did in life when you knew him, um, except he, there are faint orange pustules all over him um, and he, he does not look uh look comfortable in any sense and he opens his mouth um and lets out a, a sort of susurration uh that you take at first to be speech um but then uh suppose once he begins to speak intelligibly was laughter he says uh, <laughs> well um are you dead Oh, Tursus, what happened to you? Dragonfire, my friend. <laughs> but I, I, I am being facetious. I see you understand how, how, how do I come to this place? I, I hate to tell you a terrible truth, but hell is not, as the priests of Saramet would have you believe, an arbiter of judgments on the disrighteous, on the unjust. It is simply a hungry mouth that pulls down all that it can. I do not deserve to be here. Being a poor musician is not cause for torment, wouldn't you say? I certainly hope not, given my own calling. Ah, I can admit now in death, you're better than I was. Oh, I'm not Jesus. proud anymore. That one thing has been beat out of me. If anything has. Tersus, Terence, you uh, and I, I regret we did not collaborate more amongst the living. This, well, I never was much of a vocalist. Hmm. And I have no fingers to strum anymore and no breath to play. But I can converse with you briefly as your breath even now is fading. And you see that in reverse of what happened before his... His feet on up are slowly beginning to dissipate. He says, Tars Why have Tars you come? I, I seek, I seek Tarsemenus, and if 
if you know where I can find him, then I'll, well, I'll try to find you as well. He says, where the hate lords fester in the seventh tower, there Tarsemenus sups on the manner of pain. But I will warn you, he is not the paragon he once was. He is a casualty of this place as much as I and you shall be. And he dissipates entirely. Tarsus, I need to see this through. But if you can hear me, I'll, I'll try to bring you back as well. I'll try. And with renewed focus, I make my way towards the pit. All right. So in, in, um, in concrete terms, you have quite a ways to travel. I would say it's about three miles from mm-hmm. the, um, three miles on a downward slope from the west castle where you stand to the rim of the, of the pit, uh, above pandemonium. And I would definitely say that, um, you are about to undertake a journey most perilous. Um, and I think we can abstract the travel across the wastes, um, in a, in a dungeon world fashion with, with that role. And what okay. I do think is interesting is that, um, as a single character, you're going to have to prioritize which of the, uh, roles and the, um, you decide which are the roles you decide to undertake, whether you want this journey to be quick, uh, or whether you want it to be resource efficient or whether you want it to be safe. Well, that's a tricky one because I have already uh, spent one ration on, uh, you know, probably not the best, uh, the best call. I would say that this is um, what would typically be a one ration journey. Okay, I'm also I'm looking at this, and I actually don't have any rations in my gear in the first place. I think I I sort of abstractly said, oh, I probably acquired rations. Um, but well, in that case, that was your only one, and you'll have it to was. So unless I quarter ma- pick quartermaster, I run out of food. But I will automatically get a six minus on the other two, right? So, oh no. I mean, I think it has to be quartermaster because otherwise, I'm doubly screwed as opposed to just singly screwed. Um, so prepare for two vicious moves against me as relates to my trailblazing and scouting abilities because. Hopefully I will not elicit a third. Oh dear. I want to know before you roll um, what your strategy is um, in, in a few answers here. First of all, um, how are you mitigating the fact that you don't have food? Or if you, if you do have a little bit, where does it come from and what is it? Mm. I'll, I'll give you time to answer that one before I barrage you with other questions. Fantastic. So I... Hmm. I think the so you've I I think that if 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 hell is anything like the way I picture it in my head, it's likely that it doesn't just absorb um, the the dead and dying um, and then concentrate them all in one place. Right. I imagine that there are awful mangled skeletons of man and beast alike dotting the landscape, Uh, flesh stripped from bone by the ravaging winds and and hot air of hell. But every now and then, there's a little bit to gnaw on, preserved by the salty air, um, or just the slightest amount of, of marrow left in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a rib that practically melts away. Um, 
as soon as the as soon as the bone is cracked. There are things to eat, and um, how how much you discover about that and are able to leverage it will probably depend on your role. That's um, for so sure. What I, you you give me what I wanted to know, which is uh, your foraging. Um, I am so. yeah, I am foraging. That was a long way for me to say that I am foraging. Um, additionally, are you taking the quickest route down? Uh, there is a path that runs from the West Castle just straight down like the spoke mm-hmm. of a wheel to Pandemonium. Or are you issuing the path in favor of a stealthier route uh, through perhaps the Blistered Lands or the Pillars of Iron? You could oh, I'll be taking the path. Okay. Certainly. I am not one to, to be stealthy. I, um, I posted, or I, I suppose reposted um, the, uh, the image Mm-hmm. Of of the map that I'm looking at uh, into yeah. Discord, so I am going to make an attempt at adding that to the stream as well, um, so that it can be seen. So let and me credit for this again, uh, as has uh, been stated, not yet on this episode, but definitely on last, goes to Michael Prescott. Uh, he is the artist as well as the author of this dungeon starter that I'm leveraging. All right, um, let's see if this works. I'll bet it will and map cool so hopefully that will give those of you who are tuning in from home and haven't been hanging out on the discord uh server a sense of what's going on here we'll look at that for just a second longer make sure everyone gets a nice chance to see it and now back to the character sheet and i mean if you want to see it longer you can pop over to the discord server yes there's a link to that conveniently located on the leftmost side of your screen. And we encourage you to take advantage of that. Avail yourself of the link as you may. All right. All right, let's see the roll. So, rolls. time for that roll. Let me get back to rolling these two very metal dice. Give you a little bit of that in the microphone. Just for fun. That's an 11. Plus, do I have a... Plus nothing is 11. Okay. So, I'm going to make two rolls on the random um the little random encounter table that is provided with this adventure to uh, help me get some inspiration for uh, what you encounter on your way to account for the fact that this takes a little longer than it should i'm going to say it takes about six hours for you to get down the slope Um, wow six hours to go three miles yes um additionally um Additionally, there are things that um, come closer closer than you would wish. But in terms of food, you are well provided for. Well, maybe not well provided for, but you don't starve. You um, you come across um, a series of a series of wretches that look like they have a sort of a leathery skin to them. They look like maybe they were once human, but they have sort of rhino tusks, and they are picking over the body of another. And they, they scatter at, at, at your approach. Um, and you are free to examine what they were looking over. And it's a body that looks like it's covered with those same um, purple pu- or same orange, sorry, orange pustules that um, covered your deceased friend uh, who, who you spoke with the shade of. And some of the pustules are burst and there is ooze seeping out. And it seems that the, um, that the, uh, the, the, rhino skinned wretches were, were eating it would you I see is this a person's this? body uh yes it's it's humanoid it's it's beyond recognition the face is is quite clawed off 
it, it looks like it was once male um, when it was alive. Uh, but it, yes, mm. it, 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 it is a reinstantiated soul, I think is how you would understand it. Hmm. I don't think you know exactly how the process of that reinstantiation works quite yet. I don't, I don't re quite remember if you uh, had any knowledge roles related to that last time, but uh, yeah, you would at least know that this is someone who was once alive as you are. I will not be eating this thing that is a person. Uh, that is not what Willem is about. Okay. Um, but even in death, even post-death in this maw of hungry of of hungering soul souls i i can't abide the idea that um the idea that this this person is such easy prey for these things um but i don't know that there's anything to do about it other than grin and bear it and and well wretch and bear it i suppose because <laughs> yeah hashtag wretch and bear it hashtag wretch and bear it the uh the official play to find out motto for this this one. Oh, gross. As you um, press on, then there may be other ways uh, before this journey is complete to gain sustenance. Um, you encounter approaching you, um, approaching you from the south, from out of the pillars of iron. You hear sort of a light lilting singing, almost a haunting um, singing as you are sort of stumbling uh, down the path, very weary at this point. It seems every step is the equivalent of 10 uphill steps, even though you're going downhill, um, as it would be in the overworld. Um, and you, 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 you turn to, to see a beautiful youth uh, with all their limbs on backwards, just sort of awkwardly shuffle crawling out from behind one of the iron pillars in your general direction. Okay. Uh, when you say crawling, do you mean like, say, in The Exorcist um, or in The Ring? How, what kind of crawling? Is, is it a horrific crawling or is it it's like sort a... of it's the crawling that someone would do if they wanted to get somewhere quickly, but all of their limbs were on backwards. Oh, so no. They're sort of crab walking. Uh, their, their, their torso is in a supine position, like leaning backwards, but uh, they're locomoting towards you sort of groin first okay uh, and so that they can sort of lean uh, their head down towards their chest and still perceive you uh-huh but despite that you can tell they were once beautiful they're they're pale and slender and it looks like they um you looking at them at just a cursory glance i don't know if you would potentially have their insight this insight but it's clear that they're fresh in that they must not have been down here long because they're not uh they don't bear the sulfur burns that you have noticed in the other wretches that you've seen uh, on the horizon and also the, uh, the body of that one you found and the ones that were eating it. Okay. Um, then I'm going to address the youth. Creature. Or what, whatever you are. Um, <clears throat> uh, who are you and why do you approach so avidly? This is Wayfair. I don't know who you are. Uh, please, I'm not one of them. I'm... I was uh, a cleric of Saramet. I have been recently uh, re-instantiated here. I'm being pursued. I, I would have you assist me. And they, they stutter past you um, as if to, uh, to take shelter behind you. And you hear a, 
a growling from uh, where they came out from. And behind, uh, from between several iron pillars, you see a, a skinless dog uh, accompanied by um, a, a, a big slug, that, that almost a horse-sized slug. And both of these seem that they were pursuing her. Skittering Saramut! Ah, and I'm going to draw the cleft. Describe what it looks like as it corporealizes out of your flesh. So I think it it looks like I'm drawing it from a sheath, but that sheath is just my arm. The and if I recall correctly, I described it as being a uh, in the longsword form last time. Is that what you recall as well? Um, uh, yes, I, yeah. I believe it was like a hand and a half sword. Yeah, something along yeah. those lines. Um, and oh, did we say that it was a rapier? Oh, we might have because I would have yeah, wanted precise. Yes, yeah, it certainly, it's certainly a rapier. Um, yeah, the rapier almost springs into my hand as it as it is as I whip it forth from my forearm. It there's a swish as it cuts through the the thick, heavy, sulfurous air, and it I can feel the metal underneath the leather handle is warm because even. Even inside of my arm, it still could feel the fire of hell. And now it's at my hand, and I, in a swashbuckling swoop, I, I begin to make it very obvious that I have a weapon, and that this skinless dog and horse-sized slug have nothing on me. In the way that animals wouldn't, the, um, the slug and the skinless dog both arrest their advance and the skinless dog, uh, the, the slug sort of inclines its top portion, not, not necessarily a head, but its top portion towards the, um, towards the dog. And the dog takes a few steps forward and speaks, um, speaks the way that a, a person would if all they had to work with was the mouth of a dog. Um, and with a sort of a rage, it's step aside, let us have our prey. There's not much to eat down here, and you don't seem keen on eating it. Fresh as you are, living, let the dead have their fill. Hmm. Not, not what I was hoping you would say. And I, uh, I, I continue to stand in the path, and I say, if you want after her cleric, the cleric of Saramet, so reinstantiated, then you will go through me. <laughs> It tries to laugh, but it comes out much more as a sort of panting, punctuated by barking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it says, and when I chew the flesh off your bones, what will you reinstantiate as down here? I can Someone. only hope something prettier than you. It says, ah, I hope it's one of the, the postulant ones with the nutrition growths. Ah, those are delicious. It says, or oh, will you be a, a boneless mollusk? Or oh, some cursed of amphibian needing constant moisture, doomed to die in but an hour down here. <laughs> and it's at the at the mention of those things seems that it's been just making itself hungry. And it's like, ah, whatever you'll do, that sticker won't keep me back. And it rushes forward. The slug just sort of inclines its head lazily to watch it as it rushes alone towards the perilous gluttony. All right. Um. Well, I th- so I would, I think that I triggered defend a moment ago by standing in defense of the cleric whose name I is would, I would I would quite agree. 
All right, wonderful. Then allow me to start by rolling plus constitution, which is a plus one for me. I was smart. I knew that I'd be doing a lot of constitution rolls down here. Um, unfortunately, I did roll a six. So I am going to mark experience and probably get hurt uh, and take no hold. That's how defend works, right? No hold? Yeah. yeah. Crap. All, All right. right. Ooh, we're going to take eight damage. As... Yeah, that feels right. Oh, ouch. That was... That was Max on a D8. As the uh, the dog leaps over you um, and avoids the, the thrust of the of the rapier, and once it's inside your guard, the, the rapier is not much help. And it's not a large um, dog. Uh, it's, I would say, a greyhound size. So, okay. uh, not so sort of scrawny. Yeah, sort of scrawny. Um, but uh, it's it's skinless and and its its flesh is right up on you, um, the sinews and bones and the um, there you can actually see through its its cheeks as it opens its mouth and stretches the uh, the ligaments open and it's on your chest you're on your back um, as the weight of it bears you down and it's starting to uh, pull at the scarf and try to tear the fabric away so that it can get towards your throat. And as it takes a um, little chunk out of your cheek, as it's sort of biting and clawing at you, um, my beautiful face. Yeah, you're, you're, my highly you're, charismatic face. You're getting messed up, messed up by it right now, and it's right up on you. What do you do? Well, is this something that would trigger the ability scarred? Should I mark that? Um, if you take more damage from it now that it's directly on you, okay. perhaps. But I think the the bulk of the damage comes from the the pain of falling, um, the the fact that it's giving you some claw marks like just on your chest. This is nothing like terribly severe. Additionally, um, a note about health is I'm viewing it that you'll be able to um, even even damage that doesn't, you know, scar you deeply is going to be a little bit harder to heal down here just because rest is harder to come by. That so makes sense. Yeah, well, eight damage is, I think, enough without the debate. Yeah. Oh, certainly. It is bad. Um but I think I have to take my sword and attempt to stab it back. Um, since I have, since the sword itself is not particularly long, um, in fact, to be more precise, it is, um, I don't have it written down on this character sheet, but it is a close, uh, close, precise weapon. Um, I think if, if I sort of start jabbing at, at it as, at whatever range is appropriate, I'll be sort of getting it in the, in the back thigh or possibly sort of uh in the lower rib cage area based on sort of how you've described the skinless greyhound um so i'm going to try to get in there and stab as best i can uh through something just to get it just to force it back get it off me sure i think that um it's not so heavy that that it's pinning you down uh indefinitely so i think that you can sort of like push it to the side and and start start stabbing and be reasonably positioned that you could pack and slash. So. I should mention, though, that I am not strong. So if you feel that it triggers a defy danger strength along the way here, I would understand that. There, there'll be plenty, plenty of time. Plenty of time for that. All right, yeah. cool. I'm rolling hack and slash using dexterity instead of strength because it's a precise weapon. That is a 10 plus 1 is 11. Nice. Go ahead and roll your damage. I am. I... Uh, I am. I'm not going to take the additional D6 though. 
but that is six damage. That's um, yeah, six damage or six on the die, whatever it happens to translate into. That will number one kill it, and so I'd like to hear uh, you describe as it goes down. And two, the weapon grows warm in your hands as uh, your own near death experience uh, feeds it. So we can we can roll. Um, uh, actually, there is there's no roll there. You just get one hold. Oh, good. I get a hold to spend on legacy weapon moves, which yes. just for my for a reminder, I've got bend bars, lift gates, give me fuel, give me fire, and ritual in my kit. So hopefully one of those ends up paying off down here because uh yikes. So um cool. Having forced this um this dog off me. I'm sorry, would you would you just one more time remind me what happens to the dog? So, um, as you push it off of yourself, do you want me to describe your killing blow, or do you... Oh, oh no, I'll, I'll take a crack at that. I had, I had missed that it was a killing blow. Yes. Um, yeah, wonderful. Um, I think by the time I'm finished perforating it, the, the will to fight, the will to, to struggle and scrape after um, whatever prey I can find, it's completely left it. And... Any strength that it still had is is gone. It's it's put down. So as you um, draw the blade back out and you, the dog, um, as it dies, it's just like I'll return for you, living one, and um, dies, just cursing cursing your name as it as it dies, uh, or cursing your existence. It doesn't know your name. Right. The um, you feel really good. Like the the um, the uh, pain and the scars that it caused you don't seem that bad anymore, and there's almost a sort of a sickening euphoria, a euphoria that feel, feels illicit, perhaps like um, like from a drug, you know, not not from like a, a social experience. Okay. And you heal D4 damage. Ooh, I have to use a D4. Good thing I pulled one of those out of my dice bag earlier. That's a three. You also no longer six. feel hungry. Ooh, interesting. So killing stuff down here is good for the soul in much the same way that, say, a big plate of fried chicken might be for me right now. The hunger is beginning to consume me in real life as well. Um, very cool. So now, what's that slug up to? The slug um, sort of inclines its head from looking at the corpse of the dog as it did to looking at you. And um, it splits... Uh, a slit down the middle of its head um, and begins to speak in its own way, um, saying, Kill me too. I don't want to be a slug anymore. I will really stand for you. There's something better. Perhaps kill me. Um, uh, hmm. Um, <clears throat> that, that, I, I could do that. I'd love to extend another option if that's something you'd be interested in. It says anything. I haven't tasted the manner of pain in too long. I'm starving in my own way. Well, I have this... I have this loot. And I've returned the, the sword to my arm just for the moment. It's ready, it's ready, to, ready to go in case I need it again. Um, and I pull the loot from around my side. And I'm going to make an attempt at, uh, at playing an arcane art. I'm going to weave this performance with a basic spell. I'm going to play a song. It's a, it's a shanty song that I learned in a port um not not too too long ago um 
It's about the the prospect of going out at sea and possibly dying out there, um, and the the delirious joy of that first drink and uh, back on land. So, uh, if you feel that that triggers arcane art, I'm going to give that a quick roll. Okay. All right. Okay, that is six on the dice. Plus two is an eight. Um, so on a seven to nine, my spell still works, but I draw unwanted attention or my magic reverberates to other targets, affecting them as well. Um, and I would like to shake their mind clear of one enchantment. My signature move down here. So I'm going to rule, because of the peculiarities of how this works, that their minds aren't um, so much enchanted as their bodies are oh, they're, definitely, they're definitely subject to an enchantment but i still think that this can trigger um okay the um and they are i will say out of character um well i i'll tell you this i'll tell you i'll tell you what happens first and then um, uh-huh. i think the cleric can give you some insight onto why it does just so you understand um what's what's going on here but okay. basically they are both going to take new random forms the eight because of the eight both the cleric and the slug thing are both going to oh cool so i'm going to roll that and then that okay so the um in a a way that looks positive at first like a positive change the slug sort of shrivels and um becomes less oblong and sprouts uh hands with digits and feet um, and before you, um, in a quick instant, is a humanoid and not a slug creature, um, bald with a small frill going down its head, mm-hmm. and a glistening skin, almost like uh, my reference point is the creature from The Shape of Water. I don't know if you saw that. I, I um, know what it looks like. And it says, no, uh, this is, well, I have my arms back, but I have... Amphibian skin. This is one of the worst ones. I uh, now, now I need water. Oh, geez, this seems terrible. I'm so so sorry. Do, do you want me to take another crack? I can I can just kill you if that'd be better for you. Yeah. He says no. At least I have arms. I'll go kill someone else. And he just sullenly starts stalking back into the iron uh, into the iron pillars. Um, unless you cease uh, go after him. There's this wait of- wait oh. Hang on. Let's. There's a uh, from behind you a uh, like a sort of a, a pained sigh, and you turn to see that the the beautiful reverse limbed cleric is now with her limbs on correctly, but she is covered in those orange growths uh, that you saw both on your shade friend and in the corpse uh, that that wretch that you saw earlier. Hmm. And she says, so... "This is unfortunate." Hmm. Those are the nutrition pustules they alluded to earlier, isn't it? She says, yes, the, the, the problem is that they are incredibly sensitive. In fact, it hurts me to be even moving my limbs against them. But they smell delicious to all of the other souls. Uh, we will certainly have company if you stay with me. I, I understand if you kill me now. Oh, no. Yourself. Um. Well, why don't we figure this one out in just a minute? Because I think we have a caller who's about to join us on the air. Um, so let's bring my own little world from the Discord onto the show. 
Oh, yeah. Hopefully. This is the first time we've tried this. So it might just straight up not work. Um, this is and, a part of the show where the call-in show actually becomes yeah. a call-in show. And hopefully we'll get, we'll get someone on board here. Um, we'll give it just a second. And oh. welcome my own little world to the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome. We can hear you coming through loud and clear. So I understand you, you gave me a question earlier today and I asked if you wanted to come and discuss it on the show and here you are. So would you mind just asking for the, for both us and the audience at home, uh, what you have uh, on your mind today? Well, I was just wondering how you might go about bringing a fate core group into a dungeon world game. Uh, they're very similar, interesting, narrative-driven systems, but they are pretty different in pretty important ways. And I was hoping you folks might have some advice on that sort of transition. So, correct me if I'm wrong, the situation is that uh, the you have a theoretical group that already uh, plays Fake Core and likes it, and is um, you're wanting to get them started on Dungeon World? Yeah, either either in an existing campaign, either transitioning existing campaign or just starting a new one. And I'm wondering how to kind of introduce a group to it. It's, I think the approach would be different depending on if the people or, or persons in question had previous role-playing experience beyond Fate Core or not. Because Fate is pretty singular um, in the way that it plays. And I think it has certain goals that if the reason they play Fate is because they love what Fate does, uh, they they might see it as unnecessary to move to another different system. I think one of the things that uh, Fate specifically is going for is to try to move RPGs out of the realm of being all about numbers and being uh, very uh, fun for people who like the aggregation of power over time, like leveling and having like more damage and things, because fate is more, there's not even numbers on the dice, right? It's just pluses and minuses. Um, and you are a collection of words more than you are a collection of numbers in that game, crucially. Right. So I think there's a lot to like in Dungeon World from a fate perspective. Um, you could potentially look at Dungeon World in some ways as a sort of fate meets D&D. Um, the tags in particular, they're going to get a lot of leverage out of if they're coming from fate, especially because that's the type of thing that they've been doing in fate is interpreting um, words into narrative. Um, and I, I think the thing, the selling point would be the, uh, the structure that Dungeon World provides. Um, the structure that Dungeon World provides is a jumping off point for, for fun in a way that fate sometimes leads you to your own devices in. Um, so, and shouldn't be seen as a limiting factor. Have you ever? I have not actually played Fate. Um, I'm in the same boat. I have almost no Fate experience at all, so I fear I'm not a super useful. Uh, uh, I, I don't necessarily have a great answer that's tailored to Fate, but I, I think one thing I'd love to hear a little bit more about, if you're willing to share, what are your concerns about bringing this group to Dungeon World? So there's, uh, we've actually been running for a four years worth of a campaign of basically dungeon crawls in fate which everyone is convinced that fate can't do but it does surprisingly well just focusing in very different areas than your standard dnd game um i think the biggest the most difficult selling point 
would probably be how Dungeon World is somewhat crunchier than Fate, but not necessarily a lot. So, like, the concept of, you know, six minus being a fail, like, both games have three distinct levels of success, either failure, just barely good enough, or, you know, spectacularly uh, succeeding. And I just... It's... It's, I haven't really had the chance to explain, kind of bring the dungeon, bring the groups of folks to the dungeon world rule set yet. Um, And I think it would just be, I'm worried that the crunchier bits of dungeon world would kind of get lost on the heavier role players, if that makes any sense. Okay. What, uh, explain to me in Fate, um, how does a character die? Like if they're going to die? They usually don't. Um, If they were, it would be something... Like, you would basically agree on a heroic death. Um, Death is traditionally avoided in fate entirely, unless it makes a lot of sense for the narrative. Uh, Usually, a character would concede. So, essentially, losing a battle is getting knocked out of the fight very... Very similar to Pokemon sort of way. Okay. Um, (laughs) I like it. But usually before they get knocked out, characters would concede. So they would be able to say, the GM would propose, hey, here's the worst thing that would happen. But because you conceded before you actually lost the fight, tell me how you avoid the worst of it. So instead of being, you know, slain on the battlefield as you're being is they're cleaning it up, uh, you would be captured and taken prisoner instead, you might propose. So when you're taking damage um, or potentially even death, that's you're basically accruing tags that are like status effects, as I understand. You're accruing adjectives in fate. Right. You're you're accruing uh, longer-term consequences. And there is a potentially unlimited number of those that you could accrue. So there are actually four at most in most so characters. So once you, once you get four you're considered completely dead? Is that typically how it goes? The, basically, at that point, the GM would dictate your fate. You, you would lose the agency. And I think, okay. yeah, actually, that, that is a really good way of putting it. Um, because my characters are, or my players, are very sensitive to having agency over their characters. And I think that's part of why fate has worked so well. Uh, because they really worry about losing the ability to dictate, you know, what happens to my character in the situation. The, I think that um, it depends uh, on the, the the play style of the group, because the ability to be a great role player transcends the system. And so if you, you a good role player can get, you know, I'd say a lot of leverage out of almost any um, system. But in terms of what the system is offering you, um, the things like how close you are to death um, in in Dungeon World is discreetly being tracked. Like you have this many hit points left, and when they go out, you know exactly what will happen. You will be rolling less breath, and so it creates that um, the the presence of that danger is a motivating factor sometimes, um, which can be a positive or a negative. But the way that Dungeon World is designed is intended to be a positive. The the analogy that's coming to my mind is. If you're trying to say uh, to a group, why should we play paintball instead of nerf? 
And it's like both are offering similar experiences, you might argue, and both are really fun. And someone might argue like the fact that getting shot with a paintball gun hurts is why paintball is more fun. Because when you shoot at someone, they actually instinctively duck for cover because they know what it's going to be like when they get hit. Whereas for Nerf, sometimes people don't even shy away from the bullets because there's not a real threat there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so like sure. suppressing fire is a thing in paintball, whereas no one has suppressing fire in Nerf. It's more irritating to go pick up the bullets that you shot than to get hit. <laughs> so so um, that it changes the tone of what's going on. Whereas Dungeon World is not super far along that track, the way that, you know, you know, first edition D D or something would be, but it's it's taking a step down towards the um the world is as it is outside of your character, story be damned. You know, if you get if you die, you're dead. That's it. Um it's taking a, a, some steps uh towards that um that fate isn't. And in if we're talking about the chronology of how things came about, it's actually taking steps in the opposite direction because it came about after D D. Um but um you see what I'm saying, that it's existing a little bit down the spectrum. So I think Dungeon World would be a, be a good choice if you're wanting to get a bit crunchier, but not too crunchy. I don't think it's going to push back or be irritating in its crunch for a Fate player. Um, but again, I haven't played Fate. And if they're really concerned about agency, Fate really does give you a lot. I mean, any even the simple wound, like what does that wound look like and how does it affect you and harm you? Um, you're getting a lot more mileage out of with tags than you are with... Um, than you are with um, just simple uh, damage. What I can offer you that I just thought of um, is in Grimworld, I don't know if you're familiar with Grimworld as a supplement. I'm sure some of our listeners out there are. Uh, there's a little section towards the back that describes how to do a fate slash dungeon world sort of hybrid because the creators of Grimworld were very interested in both dungeon world and fate and all of the monsters and all of the character classes in that um, supplement are statted out for both Fate and for Dungeon World. So that would, that's definitely worth, worth a look. That's the only extant uh, published uh, example of a crossover that I've ever come across. So. Oh, that's cool. super interesting. Yeah. Uh, so. The only one that I had ever heard of was Pirate World, which doesn't oh, yeah. actually seem to be available anywhere. Hmm. Well... That sounds cool too. I, I I think we should probably, Eamon, we should give that a look. I also want to give a little bit of advice that I think might be specific to your group as far as getting started with Dungeon World is concerned. The the thing that you might want to do is just do a one shot. Different characters, different setting, just to start from scratch and give everyone a, a scenario in which there aren't any long-term consequences to the main fate game. Just to get everyone uh, acclimated to a new system. And make sure that when you're doing it, you highlight and lean into the ways in which Dungeon World gives people agency over their characters and over the world in general. We talk a lot on the show about asking questions and using the answers and how useful a move that is. Um, So make sure that if you give Dungeon World a try with this group, that they feel from the beginning like their questions are that, that their answers are impacting the world. One really good way to do that is when a player asks for a clarifying detail about the world, ask them instead to fill in that detail, especially if it's one where you're more interested in what they have to say than in coming up with your own answer. I think that that alone might be really appealing to someone who's coming from a fate background. Uh, just the the way that different levels of narrative control are available at, at any time, independent of roles or anything beyond that. 
Yeah, and it could be as simple as saying, um, now you find yourself in the swamps of Barsuth. Why are they so dangerous? And just see what they say and let them fill in some fiction a little bit. Uh, and then you can use it as fodder for future encounters. I, I sent the link to um, the the website for Grimworld into the, uh, the podcast channel. Um, I would definitely check that out. You could use that for the one shot if you intend to do one, especially since um, if uh, if they're like, ah, this this is cool, but I don't really like the system. You could just keep going with Fate because again, it has uh, mirrored everything that it has for Dungeon World. It also has for Fate. Um, additionally, um, it changes uh, one rule of Dungeon World, which is it adds uh, to every single playbook a death move. So when you die, you get to affect the world in a discreet way, um, which might uh, give them the agency that they're looking for while still keeping the threat. Yeah, the the concept of a concession where you get to die in a way that's meaningful, a heroic sacrifice, for instance, seems like it's encoded into the system from the jump, which certainly can't hurt if your players are used to that already. Um, no, the playbooks are also really good. I've, I've definitely, um, even if I'm not playing in a fully Grimworld system where like everyone's playing with Grimworld playbooks, I've definitely stolen those playbooks in the past. I particularly like the... Um, the channeler because you get to sort of craft your own elemental moves by combining tags so real good cool now before we say goodbye uh in my own little world i sent you a private message with a question would you mind just giving me the yes or no answer to that question uh am i actually in the book there we go yes yes is your answer yes wonderful then you should stick around because it is time now for us to announce um I think it's time for us to change gears even further and get into a little bit of the spell contest. Now, the we, we were blown away by the spell contest across the board. We had a ton of fun, not only watching as the conversation flowed from the beginning, but also going back through and picking out our favorites tonight. And not only have we picked a winner, we've also pulled out four full pages out of I think we ended up with over 70 submissions total. We And we have four full pages of submissions here that we love and that we want to make sure get highlighted on the air right now. So, Eamon, why don't we, uh, why don't we run through some of, our, some of our honorable mentions, you know, gold medal, uh, gold medalists, and just things that we think are dang cool, uh, starting maybe from gold scent? Absolutely. Um, I wanted to say that, like, I, I definitely second Arthur there that I was blown away at the response. I was I was joking um, in the episode where we announced the contest where I said that we'd only get four submissions, but realistically I thought we'd get like roughly 10-ish. And over 70 is honestly overwhelming. It's hard to gauge the, the clout of our listenership, but you guys are both uh, persistent and prolific in your yeah. spellcrafting. So yeah. the, um, the Don't Deal With a Dragon Award goes to... Fear be dragons from Reddit for the spell Gold Scent. Gold Scent. A single pure gold coin boils and then fills the area with the scent and t- scent and taste of gold. And surfaces are covered in an extraordinarily delicate gold leaf. I think that spell is interesting because it has uh, several uses, which I like spells that have several uses, and also uh, kind of tempts fate. I could imagine someone using this spell to the veneer of wealth on something uh, to entertain guests to mm-hmm. make everything seem gilded. Additionally, any monsters that 
um, are drawn to the scent of gold, this is basically a spell that creates instant bait for them without you actually having to have a large amount of money. Um, so you could lay a trap for a dragon or uh, perhaps even for some dwarves if dwarves can smell treasure in your world. Yeah. All right. Next up, the sticky tricky prize goes to Barry's Boon of Bonding from Quicker and Deader. Barry's Boon of Bonding. Touch is a, le- a first level transmutation spell ongoing. Touch two things. While you are focusing on the spell, the two things are magically bonded and inseparable. Um, I like this spell in part because it's one of those high utility, really useful spells that I could definitely see getting used in all sorts of crazy ways. I was thinking earlier about a character that I want to play eventually, a wizard who takes no combat spells at all, or no explicitly combat-focused spells, no magic missile, that kind of thing. And this spell would fit in so well in that context. It makes me think of the um, the golden chains that you can use to bind things in uh, in Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah. Except can... with two things instead of yeah. one. Magnet, different things together. Totally. Very good. Um, all right, you want to read the next one? The Sorry Not Sorry spell goes to Torin Blood with uh, Sorrow Mist. Um, level five, the sky turns overcast, a light drizzle falls, and mists rise. All doors become magically locked. Within the mist, a single creature formed from the sorrows of all within the steading attempts, attempts to kill anyone who lingers outside, lasts until the next daybreak. Very nice. This is I one like, of my favorites. Yeah, it's I up like that there spell for sure. just because it shows the example of a spell designed for cruel purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. This is basically just casting your wrath down upon a, a setting. Um, and I like the fact that it is has multiple parts to it. Um, it only summons a single creature to fight, but the fact that it also locks all the doors, and um, yeah, it's just it's very cool, very um, spooky, and it's it, it seems appropriately powerful for a level five spell. All right, and let's keep it rolling with Death Perfusion, a level nine spell. The target's blood transforms into embalming fluid, killing them and preserving their body. The caster must concentrate for a few uninterrupted moments during which the target has all of the abilities. Dispel magic reverses this transformation. That is a very cool spell that's mt86 yeah which is uh which is thomas oh thomas cool um yeah there are a lot of reasons to like this spell i think number one amongst them is that the dispel magic reversing the transformation as this this extra dimension to what's going on there that i find really appealing um moving forward we've got another yep you Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can yep. hear you. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. I think I lost audio. Oh, no. All right. No, we got some I mild technical difficulties. both of you. Yeah. Uh, I think Eamon might not be able to hear us is the problem now. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, here, I'm going to send him a message. Uh, um, well, this might end up getting in the way. Okay. Of... I, I can't hear you. I think my headphones just are having a problem. Hold on, All right. I'll fix it quietly. Cool, cool, cool. You can keep um, going with reading the spells. Perfect. Took the words out of my mouth. All right. So next up, we have last words. Remove the ability to communicate in any way from a target creature. And that is from, uh, again, that is from Torin Blood on the Discord. There are quite a few Torin Blood submissions in here. A prolific, prolific spellbook writer here. This next one, uh, 
is I think definitely spawned one of the one of my favorite discussions. Mage's friend again, a Torin blood spell. Mark a staff with your personal rune, uh, and you can choose one. Summon it instantly to your hand. Animate it to attack a target. Repair it instantly. Explode it, dealing messy, forceful damage to everything, including you, in near range. Then we have from Silver Willow, Shocking Lapse. Uh, this is that Silver Willow, I believe, on Twitter. Um, Shocking Lapse, a target you can see suddenly forgets how to perform the very next, next action they were about to take. It's as if they had never possessed the skill or had never attempted the action before. This is cast on me constantly in real life, and I will not accept any belief to the contrary. Huh. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I've just made the audio come out of my computer uh, instead of headphones. So, All right. It's a bold uh, choice, but I think it'll pay off. Yeah, I tried to set the level that it won't bleed over, but cool. I am well. pleased to read um, the next honorable mention. This is the Jeeves Award, which goes to Hobbit Meister with Demonic Butler, a level one spell. You summon a demon who will serve only the finest tea and insist that he iron out your clothes with Hellfire. He can insult enemies politely, but not fight. He lasts till he takes damage or you end the spell. Minus one ongoing to casting. Okay. I love this spell just for the flavor of it. Like an early demonologist might be able to summon uh, an imp that is able to provide sort of professional services, but not <laughs> combat. It is very, very flavorful. Yes, I really enjoy that as well. Um, next up, we have the Void Lights Friend Award for most pandering spell submission. Plant Froblin Spore, a level 7 spell. When you cast the spell, you create a small fungal spore that will grow into a Froblin if kept in a cool, damp, dark place. Upon death, any Froblin created by the spell will explode into a spore cloud and repeat the cycle. And that is, once again, from Torin Blood. Thank you not only for being a listener, but also for being an active listener and turning it right back at us, pointing that cannon right back in our face. For those who didn't uh, hear the episode where this was talked about, froblins are small frog-like creatures that contain smaller copies inside them and so on. Um, so they're like Russian nesting doll monsters. Yeah. Um, then next up, there is Knock. Now, this we're including because it is a cantrip. That's from Sturble on the Discord. Uh, the, can, the concept of adding a cantrip to the spell contest is something that not a lot of people did. Not a ton of cantrips. Um, but level zero spells in general are super... Uh, are super interesting and flavorful, and I feel like there's a there's a definite lack of them. I would love to be able to prepare more spells for free whenever I play a wizard. Um, so knock, I think it just has the tags hand and forceful, which just immediately means you know you you put a hand to someone and blast them away. That sounds fantastic. This is the most elegant spell by far that we received. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Ooh, we have a late submission. <laughs> which I can't, uh, which we can't officially include. But once again, from Torin Blood, uh, we've got to take a bow, a level zero spell, a cantrip. Target creature immediately bows as if they had just accepted a great award, and then gives a two-minute thank you speech for the recognition given for their last action. What a treat! <laughs> he he, he uh, just submitted that now for those of you listening later. <laughs> yeah, a treat indeed. So, um, next up again, another Torin Blood. Torin's augmentation, level five, a being you touch must make a last breath roll, and if successful, is granted a useful adaptation such as wings, extra limbs, or the ability to fly. Otherwise, they die. I was I, saying to Eamon earlier that if uh, someone in my party had this, I would unquestionably just have them meet grinder my characters until I had all the useful adaptations I could possibly want. Um, I would just roll up character sheet after character sheet after character sheet 
let them let them get chewed up until I've got five or six useful log adaptations until I beat you know five or six last breath rolls in a row um, with my wizard casting the spell on me over and over again. I like this one a lot um, because it co- kind of gives me Fallout vibes, where you're just basically exposing someone to magical radiation and hoping if they're an enemy they just die from it, and hoping if they're a friend that something useful happens, which is really great. I also like the fact that you can't choose what the useful adaptation is. So <laughs> it might be eyes all over your body, which mm-hmm. looks gross, but gives you, you know, yeah. better perceptive skills. So that's yeah, technically a useful I, adaptation. That sounds great. Sign me up. Please and thank you. All right. Um, excuse me. Next up, we have Articulate Quill. When cast on a quill or other writing instrument, this spell rewrites any dictated letter in an appropriately complex, convoluted, and formal manner. Um, then we've got Regurgitate. There are multiple ways to utilize the spell when the wizard decides to cast it. These are basically all built around shooting acid from your mouth, which is just gross, but also kind of fun. And it says a lot about the wizard that you might be bringing to the table. That was from Hoodlum. Yes, thank you, Hoodlum. Um, we've got the level 11 spell. A level 11 spell? My goodness. How wild. Eamon, you want to take this one? Yeah, I like this one. I like the concept of this one quite a bit. Basically, when cast, choose one. Either grant a creature immortality or strip immortality from a creature. And the um, there was some conversation on the Discord whether this was meaning invulnerability or immortality. Um, I like the idea that it is immortality where you can basically use this spell uh, a very powerful spell to either um, raise someone to the level of godhood by making them mortal or by like making a, a god vulnerable. Um, it seems like a risky spell. Um, the consequences when a six minus is rolled for this spell could be appropriately dire than that it's level 11. It's just the type of spell that I want to see cast, so I thought it should be included. All right. And that's and the In Our Hearts Forever Award for Binding. In Our Hearts Forever. <laughs> From Torn Blood. Yeah, and uh, our last honorable mention prize is for the spell that's most likely to become a compendium class from Hoodlum, once again, Arachnid. I'm going to read just a snippet of this. The Great Spider Queen is always willing to cast the spell on those searching for more power. The basic premise here is that as you level up, you take on spider-like characteristics, some positive, some negative. I would build a character around this concept. I would build a campaign around this concept. I would build a compendium class, if I were you, Hoodlum, around this concept because it's, it rules, but it is a little bit too over the top for the spell contest here. Um, for, but as a compendium class, whoa, ho, ho, boy, I want this. Um, so with all that behind us, it is time to announce our winner, our prize winner for the Play to Find Out Spell to Find Out contest. Anyone would you like to do the honors? This is the uh, Butterflies in Our Stomachs Award. And this spell is one that I think that was uh, near and dear to us. Uh, As soon as I read it, it it struck me as something that a wizard would spend years crafting um, and casting just because stripping the ability to speak from someone just isn't enough. But this is Lemuel's Loquacious Lepidoptery. Enchantment short. Targets are cursed with butterfly speech. Instead of words, different breeds of butterflies erupt from their mouths and try to form the shapes of the words before fluttering over. So congratulations. That's from my own little world. Um, That's just a great spell. I I like imagining 
who Lemuel was and what the other spells he had created might be. This is an example of his work. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, we actually happen to have, uh, I think we said at the beginning of this that the prize uh, for the best spell, the spell that we liked best, would be to appear on the show and chat with us about it. And it just so happens that we managed to maintain the presence of the person who wrote this exact spell. So, my own little world. Would you like to say a few words? Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, that that was a fun spell to write, actually. Yeah. Um, I think I was just, like, playing around with word sounds try- when mm-hmm. trying to come up with that one. And... I think I started at Gulliver's Travels and just, like, kept going left. Ha! Great. Well, thank you very much for your contribution and to everybody else out there who participated. This will not be the last contest we have. In fact, our next contest is, I think, going to be a little bit more elaborate, a little bit more exciting. And we will talk all about that later on in the episode. But for now, Eamon, I would love to take just, like, a five to ten minute break. Maybe we'll go with a five minute break. All right, welcome back to Play to Find Out the Dungeon World. Call in our returns. Call in hours is a strong word. It's It's been like an hour and a half already, and we're going to keep on going until we are feeling done with what we're doing, I guess. That that was a sentence that got away from me a little bit. I'm getting tired. How's it going, Eamon? A bit of a headache, but I'll manage. I'm gonna, oh, no. Well, I'm going I'm, to, um, what do we say, Retchen, Retchen Barrett? Yeah, Retchen Barrett. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, when we left off, you had just encountered a as yet nameless um, young cleric of Saramet who by misfortune had come down here and a skinless dog and a slug being. And yes. you slew the dog and then Fuck using him. your arcane art uh, re-stantiated the slug and the um, and the woman into different forms, and the slug became an um, uh, a man with amphibious skin, and he quickly sculpted off. And the woman uh, with the backwards limbs became a uh, a a woman with forward facing limbs, but covered in nutritious uh, orange pustules. Hmm. Right. Yes, that is where we left off. To her and, and your chagrin. Mm-hmm. And the amphibian, you said, uh, just to make sure I've got this right, he rushed off into the, the iron forest? He wasn't quite rushing, but he, he, he definitely skulked away. Yes. All right. Well, I, if it's all the same to you, former slug, now amphibian, um, you're welcome to stick with us, I shout. He doesn't turn back, but, but keeps on going. Well, it's been fun, I guess. Um, and then I turn my attention to the, to the former cleric. So... So those pustules really hurt, right? She says, yes, yes. In, f- in fact, they're, they're excruciating. And they're the only source of food down here. Hey, well, you really don't know how things work down here, do you? Not even remotely. There is nothing good in the air here. There is, I'm sure you encountered the mouth of hell as you came down the winding stair. I can't imagine you coming any other way being alive. Yes, that is precisely what That giant skull you saw, that thing? Yeah, oh, I I remember the skull. I think I left a sword in it. She says, well, 
as hell travels from city to city, leeching off of the souls of the living, it changes something in a most unholy fashion. I was trying to understand and research how that might be when I met my own demise, catching the pox, as it were. Uh, the library of Saramet is not as sanitary as it could be, perhaps. But in any case, I died. And instead of going to the Silver Hall of Saramet, as I had been promised, here I find myself in this wasteland. You see, the afterlife is essentially hijacked by this place when it resides under a city, and the once living are reinstantiated into forms with whatever bio stuff is available, and it is as excruciating as it sounds. That all does sound terrible. It 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 is the worst sort of serfdom the body stuff is not even infinite there is a finite amount and, and those who die while there is a shortage enter a sort of horrible queue as sulfur ghosts just stalking pandemonium until the pit lords decide to birth another batch of the stuff it, 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 it's horrible i still uh -huh. am trying to understand how it works but what you do need to know if you're going to survive down here is that there is the law of the mana of pain. All bodies here, they share a sort of metabolic dependency on cruelty. Unless they cause suffering, they will starve. The, this mana alleviates hunger, it strengthens muscles, it speeds healing, sensitizes the nerves, and it is a potent catalyst for sorcery as well. Instantiated wretches like I must have it eventually. And I'm ashamed to say that I have killed and debased myself worse for it. And I have only been here but three days. By my reckoning, I'm beginning to lose track. But you are not bound to it yet. But I warn you that even the living can become addicted to the subtle flavors. I'm sure that you uh, felt no small rush killing that wretched dog creature. No, that that is fair. There was a very real euphoric sensation. And I do... I understand your your fear for me and your 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 struggle down here but wouldn't you be happier if rather than sustaining out here if you helped me change it if you helped me return tar seminus to the living well you'll have taken away a great prize from the from the pit lords and the pandan and the pandemonium city she she looks at you, and even in her in her scarred form with these pustules all over that definitely the whatever beauty she had is certainly being defiled by the form that she finds herself in. But there's a wistful longing as she looks at you. And um, she asks, what is your name, minstrel? I am Willem Wellmet, the bard. She says, and I am Misel, priest of Tarseminus, or priestess. Or that is who I once was. I fear that what I was is not what I am and that I will lose myself. And truly, I desire to help you because I cannot bear to witness any more beauty be tainted. And I am shameless to say that I, I do find you beautiful. Oh, well, that's, that's kind. You're, you look she fine, too. Half turns away 
and she she seems acutely aware of the fact that she's half naked and covered in nutritious orange pustules and she just looks utterly dejected well why don't we stick together in fact if if we stick together then i'll keep you well as best i can i'll try to keep the monsters away i feel like i have as much if not more to fear from them as you as you know someone who's still alive and stuff and you know it'll be it'll be fine really i'm i'm I suspect we'll be happier if we stick together. She says, I wish it were so, but if I stay with you for too long, I fear I will cause you more harm than good, as I'm crudely speaking a walking banquet now. Well, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, and I may be coming at this from the wrong angle, but in my sort of folksy, bardsy storyteller's wisdom, I have a general sense that it might be even somewhat cruel for you to stick with me, wouldn't it? Well... I don't want harm to come to you. And if you stick with me, then harm certainly shall, which is really the cruelest thing you can do. So, in order to maintain your mana of pain, perhaps you should come with me and I'll get hurt a whole bunch because of you and your cruelty will sustain you. She seems to puzzle this out. And she says, yes, and mine yours, I I hope. My every step is pain with these pustules, and hopefully that suffering can feed you. Hell yeah. All right, would you actually, speaking of pustules, would you break off one of those for me? I am getting a little peckish. She eagerly, as if she's offering you from a position of poverty, but still wanting to present something meaningful to you, wrenches from her right shoulder a one of the heaving sacks that's about um about grapefruit size and offer extends it to you wow all right well thank you for this bounty um and i hope it hurt you a lot uh, and I, I give a little wink as well like just just because i know kind of what we're doing here is subverting the the system of hell that keeps people in complete misery and abject pain she um, gives a wan smile all right. Question. Did that cruelty that I just inflicted by breaking off one of these, pu- or inciting her to break off one of these pustules, did that have the, the mana of pain euphoria effect, or is it not a big enough act of cruelty? Um, I, think, I think so. Um, I think you can heal a d4 from that. Sweet. Um, in addition, like you are certainly not hungry anymore. You almost don't even need to eat the, um, the, what she offered you. All right. Well, I'll, I'll stuff it in my pack as a ration for later um okay and i heal too um lovely let me she smiles a little more broadly as she sees the yeah. scars on your chest beginning to re-knit mm. well don't don't smile too broadly yet um and i pull out my loot and say it's it's time for us to continue marching on and i'm going to play uh just the best marching song that i know she um, dutifully dutifully adopts an affected grimace yeah, because the the song that I'm playing is just the most dissonant, discordant, terrible thing. Um, it is it is outright unpleasant to hear. Um, a discordant song, you say? Sponsored. Oh, utterly discordant. Sponsored. Um, however, I think I am going to try to weave a spell into it um, because to me, this is cruelty that I'm undertaking. Um, but also, the spell itself. Um, 
hopefully will offset that a little bit. Wait, are you you're playing so badly that it hurts you? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I'm playing I'm playing so badly that it heals me out of the cruelty effect, but also heals Measel uh from the fact that I'm weaving a plus one D eight uh healing into it. Okay. So I'm going to roll ca- uh, to Arcane Art plus Charisma. Here we go. All right, let's let's get some let's get some box cars. All right, that's a ten. Okay, I'll take it. That's an eight on the dice plus two is ten. Um, so I'm going to heal one d eight damage of my ally, and uh, as as we march, and I presume also that I get to roll a d four of uh, of healing for myself because of the trash that I'm making with my music. Um. Yes. Sounds good. All right, and that's a four, which puts me back up to my full health of 21. I'm going to say that um, as you go, you, um, you spend another two hours on the, on the road, and pandemonium scarcely seems to get closer at all. Um, and you stop to rest a moment um, and almost feel like you could nod off. But... <sighs> Well, then perhaps, perhaps it's time to make camp unless there's something that's going to happen here. A few, um, you, you, Measle notices you sort of beginning to recline and just sort of sitting down. And she says, spare yourself the trouble. The um, sleep is all but impossible here. And as you perhaps turn to, to question or to protest, um, you find a sort of ashen breeze around you and there's the buzzing of many slender wasps. Um, you notice that one of them is already on your shoulder and has just stung you, but you didn't feel it at all. It was painless. Um, in fact, there's one stinging you on your calf right now, but you, again, didn't feel it at all. Oh, no. But what they, you feel that the venom that's injected into you is making it such that you cannot sleep. You, you feel sort of the dull burning as if you have insomnia where you really want to sleep, but something tells you that you just can't. Mm. You feel the, the fatigue remains, but the rest is certainly absent. And um, with a sort of knowing nod as she's getting stung in her face and her um, chest and her midsection, um, Measle says, the wake wasps, they burn away stupor of any kind. There are no mercies here. Self-denial, disassociative fugues, even those will be burned away. They make sure that all pain you experience is acute. Wow. I need to bring some of these back up to the surface. Some of the shows that I put on, these could not hurt. Uh, And with that sort of wry joke to myself, um, I guess I shoulder the loot and just keep on walking struggling with each straining footstep as as my busy mind fights against my my leaden limbs and all right i think that might be a good place to call it um i want to have the final scene okay be that as you're um coming the road seems to almost end and you see that it dips down at almost a 45 degree angle as you've reached the edge of the crater and you see pandemonium as an, a second vista before you, not just a uh, skyline in the low distance, but um, looming, even though in elevation you're almost the same height as the tall towers. It's still several hundred yards down the slope, but I want to hear one detail from you about why this place is 
always crumbling, um, yet um, never a ruin. That that nothing here is rebuilt, but new towers are constantly um, being built um, on top of the broken ones. Ooh, well, it's the cruelty, right? Uh, there are people here who have made some semblance of a home. They've crawled. They've crawled into an arch because it's the only thing that that protects them from the stinging salt rains. Or they've they've even erected a small tower of brick where they can store a little bit of food and keep it away from the from the marauding bands out here. Um, and just as soon as any place is shelter enough, it is gone, replaced by some cruel monument to the pandemonium pit lords. Because, of course, you know, stupor and shelter, I think, go hand in hand. And shelter is a, is a, is a wealth not so accessible down here. And the final thing that catches your eye is off to the north, the left of you as you stand on the rim, um, you see a, a dull gleam of a figure clad in polished iron. And you see another Hell Knight at the base of the slope. And it tilts its helmet up towards you, uh, covered in the, um, the antique armor as it is, and um, clutching its sulfur stone close to its chest that you can see the vapors wafting up from this distance. It extends in one hand its long notched blade towards you, whether in challenge or salute, you can't quite tell. And that's probably where we can stop. Love it. Well, thank you all for listening to this live episode of Play to Find Out or to this archive, if that's more what you're about. Before we sign off today, Eamon, I understand that we've got one more announcement, sort of a very exciting big deal. Yeah, this was uh, your brainchild. Well, that's not so so true. In fact, this is yet another uh, Torin Blood brainchild that we are announcing on the air almost as though we had inspired it ourselves. Oh, that's right. I had forgotten that part. It is the next contest. At least I, I, I believe this is a Torin Blood contest uh, idea. And let me go back through my Discord history to make sure that that is the case because it is very good. The contest is... Um, Hang on, let me actually... There we go. Yes. So the, the contest is... Uh, Torrin's idea was design a class to emulate X character from a game or a movie. Our twist on this and the new contest for Play to Find Out, which will run from July 10th until August 1st at 11.59 p.m. That's August 1st at 11.59 p.m. This contest is... The Movie Character Emulation Contest. We're going to be putting our knowledge and our skills with the core playbooks to the test. Pick a character from cinema, from movies, from TV, from comic books. Movie characters, I think, are in particular what we're looking for here. But any character that is sort of a mainstream fictional character that we would probably know, take that character and try to recreate it using only core playbooks. Those are the core playbooks from the Dungeon World playsheet. So the stuff in the book plus the emulator and the Barbarian. And we will be evaluating this contest in a two-pronged way. Prong one, how closely do you emulate a beloved character? And prong two, how cool is the result? How much do we like it? The, the closeness and the quality are the two things we're going to be looking for on this one. So you yeah. can take as, take as many levels as you like. Take uh, as many 
multi-class moves as you are able to within those levels. We will be sort of applying that as a weight. The more levels that go into it, the more likely you are to get it very close. But also, you know, maybe we'd maybe we'd see a, a level one character that's perfect and think, wow, that's so good. It's going to be a little subjective, we acknowledge. Uh, but hopefully it'll be a lot of fun and we're excited to see what you all come up with. So try to submit fully uh, written out PDFs of the character sheets. But don't do it until July 10th, because by then we will have announced the submission process for this one, which will be a little different from this current contest. We're going to try to streamline it a bit. I think that yeah. the, the conceit here is that the playbooks are um, restrictive in that you're limited to what's on the playbook as the tools to represent the character. So be careful about which playbook you choose and also which moves you choose and what gear you give them. But for example, you can, um, anything the playbook asks you to add, you have free, free reign with. Like the druid says to provide a token of the land, you can describe whatever that is, and that can be a useful tool to um, adhering to something that is uh, significant to the character. Um, the name of the character um, should be the name on the playbook so that we can easily recognize what you were going for. And we will, I think, be most excited to see really close character recreations from totally divergent playbooks. If you manage to make a ranger into a terminator, I'll be pretty happy about that. Um, just as a, as a for instance. So we're really excited to see what you all come up with in the play to find out character recreation contest, which should be fun. Well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed yourselves tonight mm -hmm. and you as well out there. Oh, I certainly have. This was a good, good time. And hopefully we'll see you all again soon on Play to Find Out, the Dungeon World podcast from the Dungeon World Discord. But for now, peace.